Hello, everyone. I'm Jamie Bricker. And I'm Carol Bricker. And welcome to Bricker by Bricker. Both Jamie and I are retired elementary school educators, as well as parents. And we hope you have been enjoying our series of podcasts on how to help you build a productive partnership between home and school. And in our last part of our podcast, we discussed some of the changes that have occurred in teaching and learning um, in today's classroom compared to years gone by. And uh, we're going to continue that uh, discussion, but today we're going to be discussing assessment. And as Carol says, today's focus will be on student assessment. And there really are three key questions that we're really going to have as our focus today. Those being how it's done, when it's done, and most importantly of all, of course, why it's done. And to help us answer these key points, it's our real pleasure to have Kim Sullivan join us. And Kim is, is an outstanding elementary school teacher with whom I've had the pleasure of working for several years when I was a principal and she was on our staff. And not only did she do a great job in the classroom with her students, but she was also certainly one of our key lead teachers in the school, and she helped lead numerous professional development opportunities for her colleagues. So Kim, it's really a pleasure, and thank you for joining us. Thank you. So I think if we look back over the years, you know, typically a teacher would assign uh, students a topic to study for a few weeks, and then there'd be a test and then a few days later the test would arrive back to the student and would be accompanied with a letter grade or perhaps a numerical grade and then maybe with something a comment like you know good job so i'm just wondering kim how do you see assessment um, having changed in today's classroom well, I think in today's classroom, Carol, um, teachers are assessing students on a formal basis and on an informal basis. So my informal assessment is ongoing. I'm taking um, notes on my students throughout the day. Any observations I might be seeing, I can use checklists. Um, I can file some information away in my brain that I'll remember. So it's more just me getting to know my students, what they know, and then using that to guide my instructions. So really when we're, when we're talking about informal assessment, it, it really is for the benefit of the teacher to really get to know the students and what they're doing well and what still needs to be covered. So it really is to really help inform your teaching. Yes, exactly. And then on a more formal basis, I think the main change in assessment from your opening comment is that teachers are checking in with the students' progress throughout the unit. And then what we do is we pull small groups to do interventions and close gaps before the final test is given, or our summative assessment. That is going to wrap up the unit so we know how they did and then we move on from there. All right, like Kim, you know, certainly when I was a student, which I realized was a long time ago, but also for a big chunk of my own teaching career, a major emphasis was placed on the end of unit test. You know, it was on the blackboard or whiteboard, this Friday the test type thing. Is this one test still such a focal point? And related to that, when and how often do you actually assess your students? Okay. Um, no, that is not how we do things at all anymore, Jamie. <laughs> um, at the beginning of the year, we're really getting to know our students. Um, it's important to know them academically as well as their personal interests. Gathering a lot of diagnostic assessment. 
So this means um, our diagnostic assessment is we're trying to find out where our students are at the beginning of a unit. Um, so for instance, I just finished reading with each of the students using a system called the Fontes and Pinnell Benchmark Assessment System. And this allows me to plan according to their needs and group students together for guided groups. So depending on what grade you teach, like even though I'm teaching a grade three class, I can have readers in here anywhere from kindergarten to grade five. So my work that I'm doing with them and the strategies I'm teaching them might be different for different students' needs. And that's why we have um, guided groups that we're using throughout the unit. And what a interesting, very, very significant shift in practice. When you think back years ago, it was kind of considered that all the kids in the same quote-unquote grade were doing everything at the same level, and if any child wasn't, then they needed to kind of make adjustments or home needed to do something, whereas now it's so much at the teacher level covering so many different grade levels within one class. Yeah, there's a lot of differentiated instruction now in mm -hmm. today's classroom. Well, and I think in one of the nice uh, pieces with doing the, the running records is it really helps you focus on what skills is that particular student bringing to a text and what skills do they still need to develop so that, that you can really refine your teaching that way. Yeah, because with this um, assessment that we do uh, for their reading, it, one, it allows us to understand are they able to decode and at what level. Um, number two, are they fluent in their reading? And then number three, is their comprehension so and there's different levels of comprehension so are they comprehending within the text or beyond the text that gives us a real clear picture of what we need to focus on and to help them move forward Excellent. oh very good yeah um, same with planning a math unit so we often start with a diagnostic tool I like to use um, a book called leaps and bounds and all this is is it gives the kids an opportunity to do a little quiz um, say we're, we're just finished up skip counting. So there's a little two-page quiz on skip counting. I haven't taught skip counting yet, so it lets me know what they know before I start planning my unit and uh, where I'm gonna go with that and how I'm gonna group my students. Again, we wanna close our gaps. Um, formative assessment, this happens throughout the unit. Um, often ending a lesson with an exit ticket gives you a good check-in with who got it and who's ready to move on and which students need to go back and review the lesson. Well, well Kim, in our, you know, in our society, we're all very familiar with entrance tickets, whether it be to a movie, a sporting event, a concert, but an exit ticket, what exactly does that mean? Um, I'm gonna just use a math example. So if I have just taught a lesson um, in math, then before the students leave for recess or home time, whatever time of the day it is, um, I just give them a little question that reviews what we did in class today. And they hand it in as an exit to get out the door. And then after I look at them, it gives me a quick overview of who got today's lesson and who didn't. Who do I need to go back and reteach and who's ready to move on? And I think, you know, one of the big things to, to bring to that is, is that you know, these aren't necessarily the things that are generating grades. These are the things that are generating information for you to help you determine what are And to help you differentiate needs. and personalize instruction. Exactly. Very powerful. Yeah. Um, as well with formative assessment, we're creating quizzes throughout the unit. I find in my program, um, the task is usually modeled by myself with explicit teaching. 
and then I gradually release my students to do some group work together, then partnering, and I finally have them complete a task on their own that I'm going to assess. So Kim, explicit, we're all familiar with the term teaching, of course, but what's explicit teaching versus traditional teaching? I think um, what I like to do when I'm doing my explicit teaching and I have a primary classroom is I'm able to bring all the students together to the carpet area. That's where I have my charts and my papers that I can work with. So I'm basically teaching them the lesson and then I'm modeling for them what it is exactly that I want them to go back and do. So I'm, there's no misconceptions. When they leave the carpet area and they go to start their task with a partner or a group, they know exactly what their end product should look like because I've already modeled it for them. There's no misconceptions, but also to me, equally importantly, you're validating this is a worthwhile, meaningful activity for the students because they clearly see the teachers engaged in it too. Right. So I think a powerful message. Um, the final type of assessment is our summative assessment, and that's what we're doing at the end of a unit. And getting back to your question about how much the final test matters, Summative assessment could be different um, based on different students' strengths and needs. So it could be a performance task or a presentation. We're really trying to find out what the student knows in a way that works for them. Um, it's not always a pencil and paper test anymore. And I think that that's a big change with today's assessments is that you know, it used to be that everybody had to do the same type of task uh, to generate that grade. But really what's become the focus is finding out what kids know, not how they're going to go about showing it per se. No, and um, with all the assistive technology that we have now, it really helps some of our students that have trouble reading or writing because we can put them on the computer, we can get them headsets to listen to stories, we can use text to speech, and they're able to show what they know and it's not forcing them to sit down with a pencil and a paper anymore. Mm -hmm. And really looking, you know, as you say, at each individual student's needs and, right. and what are their strengths. And another thing, you know, as we're sitting here in your classroom, Kim, and, and I'm seeing your, your learning goals and success criteria, and that might be a, a terminology that parents are familiar with, but really maybe you could give us a bit better understanding of how you're using it um, and how does it that actually benefit the students? Yeah, well, when anyone comes in my classroom, if they see the students engage in activity and they ask them what they're doing, they need to know why they're doing it. Um, otherwise, it's not purposeful for mm -hmm. them. So when we get together and we start a lesson, we talk about what are our learning goals? Like, why are we here and why are we learning this? Because if they don't understand that, they're not going to get the task. And I think, you know, that's making making learning very transparent to, to the kids. Yeah, and then once they know why they're there, what we're doing, we build our success criteria. So we come up with things that they need to do to be successful on the activity and they know it, what it is. So they can go back to their desk, then they review their success criteria and say, I've done that, check, I've done that, check. Oh, I forgot to do this, I've gotta go back, I'm not, finished nice. my work. I'm not at my standards. So. so it gives them those opportunities to be a little self-reflective. Exactly. Great. Well, certainly many of us can recall both the students and parents that some teachers were, let's face it, they were considered the easy markers and some were the very hard markers. 
which kind of reminds me of a situation when I was in uh, high school and a friend of mine, um, his father was a doctor and we were cleaning out his office this one time and there were these test tubes that he wasn't using anymore. So we thought, well, you know, let's take them to our, the, back to school to our chemistry teacher. And he was very receptive to them and, and appreciated it. Appreciated it so much that on my next test, I got additional uh, marks because of the test tubes that we brought in. And the ironic piece is, is my friend didn't get any marks on his <laughs> test. So, so, yeah, there was certainly that happening uh, in previous previous years. There's a lot of aspects of that story that are certainly don't, don't seem overly uh, fair, but certainly highly relevant to the next question, Kim. Is this still the case in today's schools? I hope not. <laughs> um, we all agree there. I think uh, like what we need to remember is all assessments are based on the provincial curriculum. And one of the benefits of being a teacher that administers our EQAO test um, is that we have access to many exemplars where we can see what a level one, two, three, and four looks like across the province. And as mentioned in some of our previous podcasts, uh, as we all know, education loves acronyms. And just to clarify, I know uh, we've all heard of EQAO for the past 25 years or so, but it is a province-wide assessment done uh, annually for students in grades 3, 6, and 9. And EQAO stands for Education, Quality, and Accountability Office. And Kim, what I'd like to ask you is the levels 1, 2, 3, 4, et cetera, how do those align with the old ABC 6592? How, how does that connect? Um, well, level one would be more of what we're used to have as a D, a two is a C, a three would be a B, and a four would be your A. And when we're doing, um, administering the EQAO, we're looking for our students to be at a level three, which is So a level three standard. then is considered provincial standard? It is a B, yes. Okay. No. Um, as teachers, you need to remember that the highest student in your own classroom doesn't mean that they're an A or the level four. You need to think of where that student will be based on all of the students in the province. We spend a lot of time examining reports on how the students performed on the standardized tests and how that data compares to the report card grades. So it really keeps us in check knowing this is how they did on the standardized test and this is the grade I gave them on their report card and are they very similar? Because if not, then we know that. Well, as you know, when we worked together, that alignment was key. <laughs> we yes. had many a discussion about that school-wide. <laughs> And, you know, teachers are also spending a lot of time moderating student work. And that might be, uh, you know, a term that our, our listening audience really isn't familiar with. So when you're referring to moderating, um, it's, it's teachers working together and looking at student work to, to come up with determining the different levels of of the work is that correct yes because if we if we're marking together then we might pull all of our grade partners together and then we would put all of the students work into a pile and or we might change classes so there's no bias even excellent and then um, we're marking the work and if we're not sure is this a two plus or a two or three minus then we have our partners mark it as well and we discuss where we think that they should be um, we also have, in some schools, and fortunately I've always had the opportunity to work with one, we have a literacy and numeracy coach, and they're always willing to work with us and moderate with us or help us if we have any questions with our marking and levels. And those are 
uh, top end teachers who are now working with the board for several years, working with a number of schools, correct? Yeah. Just to clarify for everyone. Yeah. Um, also at staff meetings or at professional learning um, opportunities, we're moderating together and even as a whole school. And it's nice for teachers to be able to see if this is the expectation in the curriculum that we're looking at. What does it look like in kindergarten? What does it look like in grade oh, five? Oh, absolutely. What does it look like in grade eight? And we did many activities like that in our staff many, meetings. Many Jamie. activities. We were together, Kim, absolutely. <laughs> and and I think that's really powerful, key powerful. for, for uh, you know, a, a, a teacher of a younger grade to know what are those expectations of students at an older grade so that they can really be making sure that they're establishing those skills or that the kids are leaving their grade with the necessary skills to be successful. Yeah, because even when we're talking about provincial assessments, even if it's a grade three assessment, it's an assessment of their primary learning. So that's everything they've learned from kindergarten to grade three. So all mm -hmm. those teachers are involved. And same with six, those are all of our junior grades and so on. Now to reiterate uh, one of Kim's really key points, I think it's so important for today's students and parents to realize that achievement is now based on an absolute, which is the provincial curriculum, as Kim mentioned. So it doesn't matter if your child attends a school in Windsor or North Bay or Ottawa, they are going to be measured against the same provincial standard. Rather than simply having your students' assessment being reflected by their relative ranking within their given classroom, a really important distinction. And I think if we, you know, look historically, uh, you know, for many parents and, and for some students, really they're, they're always associating that quiz or that test as kind of that necessary component that they, they need to be remembering a lot of facts and figures and putting that in their short-term memory. But I think, you know, moving forward, Kim, could you explain for us why you're assessing your students on a regular basis? And then is it safe to say that, you know, not all of your assessments are actually generating a mark for the report card? Yeah, of course. I'm assessing my students all the time, like I said at the beginning. So I'm either making mental notes, writing down notes, antidotal notes. I watch them during group work, present math problems to the class. Um, I'm gathering all this data. So. This year, I gave a, the class a quiz on data management, and they were learning how to sort with a Venn diagram. And I discovered when I was talking to my students, it wasn't that they didn't know how to sort, it was that they didn't know the difference between the fruits and the vegetables that they were sorting. And as you know, Kim, when we worked together many times, we talked about such experiential uh, bias being embedded in questions, where as you say, it's not the math concept, it's the vegetable fruit distinction. And that kind of bias has also made its way into some of the standardized EQAO assessments over the years where they've had questions based on a trip to the farm or pitching a tent or going to amusement park or visiting the zoo, which lots of students just haven't had the opportunity to experience. And I think, you know, you, you raised a key point in that you were discussing with your kids, you were conferencing with them, which gave you that opportunity to, to find out that it wasn't that they didn't understand the concept of the Venn diagram, but it was the material that they were using. And those conferences are so key. Yeah, it really hit home after that, that it was so important to have conferences. Well, they didn't understand the, the context rather than they didn't understand the concept. An important <laughs> distinction. Yeah. Anyways, I ended up putting that quiz in the recycling bin and I made sure to pre-teach the items being sorted on the revised quiz the next day. 
Um, I use lots of informal assessment and everything doesn't make it into my grade book. But by assessing regularly, we're able to give the students feedback to guide them on their next tasks. And I think that, you know, the feedback is, is an important thing. Historically, feedback was good job or well done. But now we, we've um, moved into using descriptive feedback. Right. So how do, how do you see it being used in, in your classroom? Um, well, I'll give you an example. So if I'm marking a piece of writing, what we try to do is write down two things that the student did well on and one thing that they need to work on. So again, different acronyms and terms that we use um, was sometimes called two stars and a wish or we give them a grow and a, gl a glow. Um, it could be verbal for feedback. It's really effective if they get the feedback in the moment, like mm -hmm. oh, definitely. timely, so timely. Because it reminds me of a time I was doing a running record with a student, gave her, you know, whatever the two things she was doing well, and one thing that she wasn't doing was pausing at periods. Right. And so her comprehension was impacted. And mentioned that to her, well, then she just started using it right away as we continued on with the, the her reading, and it really showed that she was able to read and comprehend at a much higher level. Yeah. Um, I just think students, they constantly need feedback so they have the opportunity to learn throughout the unit or the school year, not just be given a final test that says good job on it. And in terms of good job, I think it's really important that we distinguish praise from feedback. Our focus today is certainly on feedback, but praise is very important also in terms of encouragement and being supportive and so on for our students. I just want to stress to all of our parents that Praise is always great and needed, and it's whether it's at home or at school, as long as it's genuine and it's related to a specific thing your child has done, that's fantastic. That's encouragement. That's what parents and teachers do all the time. And the difference is that praise is all about the person and feedback is all about the performance. Yeah, and self-assessment is important. We expect our students to reflect critically on their own strengths and needs by giving descriptive feedback. We're giving students the tools to help them see what they're doing well and what their needs are. And something that we have in the classroom is we call them exemplars. So it gives the students a picture of what a level one, two, three, and four looks like. And before they begin. Before they yes. begin. And we want them, after they've done their work, to go up to the board, look at the exemplar, and say, where does my work fit in? Am I at a level two? Am I at a level three? and then go, how am I going to improve this? What do I need to do? And go back and try to make improvements to their work before they're And isn't it, it so in. powerful when the student can recognize where they are? Yeah, we love giving them their work and letting them then market themselves. Absolutely. And I think that is, that's a lifelong skill that you're establishing with them because they're always going to need to Well, that to whole metacognitive piece is just yeah. huge. Right. So, huge. you know, that I think that's a great piece, that, that self-reflection. Well, as we wrap up our discussion uh, on feedback, I think another very important aspect of it is that it's also very much for the teacher's benefit. As Kim was mentioning, the feedback helps the teacher see where learning gaps are and where they should focus future teaching. And Kim, throughout our podcast, we've uh, really been um, discussing the important ways to strengthen that partnership between home and school. And, you know, knowing where your child is fitting in and, and where their successes are, how are you keeping your, your parents informed about their child's progress? Um, well, at the beginning of the year, I make sure to meet all of my parents. Um, uh, 
a lot of parents are at the school picking up their children. I might meet them at the door. Um, we had curriculum night where I got to meet some parents. And if I haven't been able to touch base and I'm always making a phone call, it's always good to have those positive calls with parents at the beginning of the year and let them know who you are and who's taking care of their child all day. Um, it's always good to establish relationships with families and I keep in contact with them on a regular basis. There's many ways we can do this. I could be sending home a newsletter. Um, now we have the opportunity of using technology. I personally like to use an app called Remind and other student or other teachers uh, in the school are using uh, Classroom Dojo. And so those are just some tools that are available that in our area that people are, are using to communicate and the nice thing with them, they're very instantaneous communication. Yeah, the, rem the Remind app is basically texting except your phone numbers are blocked. Yeah. Um, important projects, they'll go home with a rubric and a level and I often ask for them to be signed and return so that I know they're aware of their child's progress. Every parent of mine will be contacted prior to progress reports going home if there's any concerns. I never want a parent to be shocked when the report card goes home. That's not fair to the child or the family. If families are aware from the beginning and given next, next steps for their child, then they're gonna be able to help them at home as well. Well, and definitely, I mean, this is the time to be addressing any concerns. Yeah. And no surprises along the journey. Well, one of my favorite sayings about assessment is, it's not the quantity of assignments, but rather the quality of assessments that's truly important. In other words, the days of teachers accumulating hundreds of marks for each student over the course of a unit and then simply calculating their mathematical percentage of achievement have thankfully come to an end. Far more to it nowadays, and students, teachers, and parents are all the beneficiaries of it. And I think our discussion around assessment has been really timely because, uh, you know, we're moving into um, when progress reports or interim reports are going home uh, with kids in the next few weeks. And so it will provide, you know, parents with this great opportunity to really see how their child is progressing. And, you know, hopefully with that strong home school connection already in place, uh, you know, the content of this report, as you say, Kim, will not be a surprise to anybody. Right. And soon after receiving this report, parents will, of course, have the opportunity for a parent-teacher interview to further discuss their child's progress. And to help ensure this interview as productive as possible, it will, in fact, be the focus of our next podcast at the beginning of November. And thank you so much to Kim Sullivan for sharing all of your passion and expertise on assessment. You've really added so much to our production today. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. Yes, thank you, Kim, uh, for joining us today. Uh, just wanted to mention to our listening audience that, you know, Jamie and I would really benefit from your feedback. Maybe there's questions that you have or topics that you would like us to address in future podcasts. So uh, you can do it a variety of ways. If you're listening on SoundCloud, you can um, add your feedback directly, directly there. Or you may reach us either through Jamie's website at uh, jamiebricker.com or you can email us directly at info at jamiebricker.com. And we look forward to connecting with all of you in two weeks for our discussion with another outstanding teacher as we will explore the ins and outs of the parent-teacher interview. And looking forward to connecting next time on Bricker by Bricker.